Most prayers that you and I pray will not be answered in less than three minutes. The fact of the matter is most prayers that we pray probably may be unanswered for years and years. C.S. Lewis was in his 60s when he married Judy Gresham, who was an American divorcee with two sons. After she died of cancer, he committed himself to caring for the boys, but Lewis himself died two years later. The youngest son was a young man by the name of Douglas, who later married and moved to Tasmania. Neither he nor his wife were believers in Jesus Christ. One day, Wheaton College decided to have a tribute to C.S. Lewis, and they asked his stepson, Douglas, if he would be willing to come. As an honorarium for his trip, the college gave him a folio of Lewis's books on audio tapes. Douglas' wife began listening to the books. Her name was Mary. And at age 40, Mary trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. She began praying for her husband, Douglas. It took seven years. She prayed fervently that he would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And seven years later, through her prayerful diligence, she led her husband to Jesus Christ. God didn't answer that prayer in less than three minutes. But if you take this prayer, which starts in verse 4 of Daniel chapter 9, and you time how long it takes you to read it to the end of verse 21, you will discover that you can do it in 2 minutes and 45 seconds. That's the amount of time it took Gabriel to come from heaven with an answer to Daniel. One of the things you'll see as we go through this part of the prayer is that Daniel does not use Israel's covenantal name for God, capital L, capital O-R-D, Jehovah, like he used in verse 14. When he was confessing the sin, he used that covenantal name for God in verse 14, but now that he's going to ask God to do something, beginning at verse 15, he uses the two other names for God, God, Elohim, the plural name for God, and Lord, capital L, small case, O-R-D, Adonai, which refers to Lord and Master. This, in my opinion, is an important fact. Because Daniel is opting to appeal to the fact that God is plural in deity, that God is the supreme master, rather than the sovereign, self-existing I am that was so important to the nation Israel. And the reason why Daniel does not use the name Jehovah, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is because at this point in time, Israel did not deserve a covenantal relationship with God, and by not using that noun, that is established. You see, one thing that becomes quite clear as you go through this prayer is that in order to move God in prayer, there must be total humility and honesty. And that's what Daniel had, total humility and honesty. And when we look at Daniel 9, 15 to 23, there is a theme that shows up, and that is in view of Daniel's humility and honesty before the Lord in prayer, in confessing his sin and the people's sin, God immediately sends an angel to give a direct answer to his prayer. That's what God does here. In just a matter of moments, he sends Gabriel down to answer Daniel's prayer. Now, the assumption that Daniel makes when he prays is that God has the power to be able to get Israel as a nation out of her terrible situation. When Daniel prays, he believes with all of his heart that God can reverse things. This is the assumption that you and I should have when we go to God in prayer. We should go with a faith that believes God is able and capable of reversing negative things for his people. 
But his people will not see God do this unless they are honest and humble before him specifically about sin. Now this is a very unusual prayer, and this is a very unusual answer. And this prayer may be analyzed under three main divisions. First of all, as we saw last time, you have the confession of Daniel in which he just confesses the sin of Israel, the sin of the people, even the sin of himself in verses 4 to 14. Now, oftentimes, because there is such a powerful prophecy that shows up at the end of Daniel chapter 9, which we're going to look at, Lord willing, next Sunday, these verses are just jumped over to get to that prophecy. I have commentaries that do that. I have commentaries that jump over the essence of the prayer to get right into the heart of the prophecy that Gabriel reveals. However, we do not want to do this because it was this prayer that specifically led to God answering this prayer and revealing the prophecy. So this was part of that which moved the Lord to actually do this. Now the first division that we saw last week was we saw the confession of Daniel. What we saw last time is Daniel specifically and concretely named sin. He was not abstract about it. He used every term possible in describing the sin of the people of God. He called it sin, iniquity, wickedness, rebellion. He called it turning aside, not listening to the word of God. He called it unfaithful. He called it being against God, not obeying God, transgressing against God. He said, we've not sought God's law. We've not turned to truth. Now what I see when I look at that list of 12 things is that there's no way Daniel was trying to skirt over sin. He was naming it, and he was being as specific as he knew how to be. And that's the way we need to be when we go to the Lord. I know of a little boy who was in a store, and as little boys can do, he put a toy gun in his pocket. When he got home, he told his dad. His dad marched him right back to the store, right to the store owner. And he said, now you tell the store owner what you did. This boy couldn't just say, well, if I've ever done anything wrong, I hope you'll forgive me. What he had to say to the store owner is, I took this gun. Here it is back. I'm guilty. I did this. And I hope that you can forgive me. That's the kind of thing that'll move God. That's the kind of honesty he's looking for when his people come to him. God, I looked at immoral stuff on the internet. Not if I did anything wrong this week. God, this is what I did. I looked at immoral stuff on the internet. I gossiped about a person this week. I had no business opening my mouth saying anything. I watched a program I had no business watching. I lied this week, God. I'm down before you and I'm calling it straight. I'm being honest with you. And people who see God move in powerful ways are honest and humble, just like Daniel. Now that brings us to the petition of Daniel in verses 15 to 19. And when you look down through this petition... As we carefully go down through it, Daniel makes a series of five requests, and the real issue at stake from the heart of Daniel in this prayer request is the glory of God. Request number one, Daniel asks God for deliverance in view of God's previous deliverance of Israel. Look at verse 15 of chapter 9. And now, O Lord our God, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it is this day, we have sinned, we have been wicked. Now, in the Old Testament, God displayed his power by delivering Israel. Israel would disobey him. He'd allow powers to come up and dominate her. Then she would get in a mode of repentance, and then he would eliminate the power. And that's how God displayed his power. 
by getting Israel out of these messes that she got herself in. In the New Testament, the Bible is very clear that God displays his power by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's that which displays the power of God. That's the place where you can get out of your messes in life, go to the cross, and have a relationship with the resurrected Christ. And the power of God is displayed right there. God had a track record of bailing out Israel in times of trouble when she would finally admit that she had sinned against him. He did it in Egypt. He took his mighty hand. He delivered Israel. And I want you to notice Daniel carefully reminds God why he delivered Israel because he wanted to make a name for himself, a name for thyself. And that's what he says in verse 15. You brought your people out of the land because you made a name for yourself. In other words, Daniel is saying to God, God, you never delivered Israel from Egypt because she was so wonderful, because she was a nation that loved you, wanted to serve you. You did it for yourself. Daniel is really concerned about God's reputation. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the quickest ways that we will ever move God is to admit how sinful we are and remind God that he can glorify his own name by delivering people like us from our sin. He can glorify himself when he demonstrates his power through people who are miserable examples of his power. It's so refreshing when you hear a young person come to faith in Jesus Christ and they pray. They don't have all the theology figured out. There are some things that they perhaps may stumble through, but it's just amazing to hear people who've just come to faith in Jesus Christ pray. I've heard many new believers pray something like this. God, I don't deserve anything from you, but thank you for your grace. Boy, that's the kind of person I think God can do really wonderful things with and for. Because they're just honest. They're not caught up with a bunch of religious pretension or pretending. They're just admitting what's true. God, I don't deserve anything from you, but thank you for grace. The second request is Daniel asked God to turn away his anger and wrath from his holy places and people. Verse 16, O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath Turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, for because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. Now there are some very misguided believers who think that once you're in God's family, you can't anger God. They basically have a love God who just loves you as you are and could care less if you change. That's not the God of the Bible. The fact of the matter is, that isn't true in the Old Testament nor the New. God's anger in this particular context for Israel meant they weren't able to worship in Jerusalem. Jerusalem should have been the place of worship in the world. Jerusalem should have been the place where people from all over the world said, that's where we've got to go if we want to worship God. Instead, it was a reproach. The people of God weren't even in Jerusalem worshiping in the temple. I find this real interesting when you look down through verse 16 because he names Jerusalem and then he names the holy mountain before he even gets to the people. It seems to me that Daniel is thinking to himself, you know, God might be more prone to be merciful to us if we remind him that it's his city and that it's his place of worship rather than discuss all the problems of the people, although Daniel does discuss all the problems of the people. 
It was God who allowed these people to be removed from worshiping him. He shut down the place of worship, which should have been so important. Daniel's prayer does not try to dodge around the point. He knew that it was God in his anger and in his wrath that had caused these things to happen. He knew that God was angry with his people, and that's why he allowed these negative things to happen. This was a disciplinary judgment against his own people because of their sin and because of their rebellion. Now, we live in the age of grace. There's no question about that. But I want to tell you, don't ever think lightly of your sin in the age of grace, because God doesn't think lightly of it. And there are times when God gets angry. There are times when sin needs to be addressed. Sin needs to be dealt with. That's what James says. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The emphasis of that is God has struck a believer down. They're sick. They've been hammered because they've made God angry. And the way out of it is confession. Name it. Call the elders together. Tell them what the sin is. Get them praying for you so God will lift the judgment. There are many churches today who make God out to be a loving God who will never get mad at his people. That's heresy. Just read the seven churches of Revelation. Those are seven legitimate churches in Revelation. God warned those churches. You deal with sin issues or I'll bring judgment against you. You better take care of the problem or I'll take care of the problem. He said to the church of Ephesus, a church that had a tremendous reputation of being a place that one time taught the scriptures, that was known for the word of God. He said, you better deal with things that are going on or I'll remove that lampstand, which means I'll remove this place as being a place that reflects the glory of God. That's exactly what he did with Old Testament Israel. And perhaps you're here today and you know you're doing things that are making God angry. Look, don't think lightly of the anger and wrath of God. You be humble. You be honest before God. He can turn the whole situation around and bring great blessing to you. That's what Daniel's going to learn right here. The third request is Daniel asked God to shine his blessings on his own temple in Jerusalem. Verse 17, so now our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications, and for your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. On the negative side, God, turn away your anger. On the positive side, shine your blessings on us. There's a temple there. There's a building there that was once dedicated to God. You could have people going to the building, and they could have the blessings of God, or you can have people going to the building without the blessings of God. In order for God to shine his face of blessing on something in one of his places of worship, there must be a humble, honest dealing with sin. Some people, ladies and gentlemen, who go to church will never experience God's delivering power because they will not humbly and honestly deal with sin. Daniel had spent many years in Babylon, but boy, what he longed for was not to have people talking about God in Babylon. He longed for that worship to be restored again in the temple of Jerusalem. And I want you to notice again, he talks about that he would do it for his name's sake. He talks about the motive that Daniel had for restoring worship in the temple for your name's sake. The nation Israel did not deserve the blessings of God in their worship services. They had rebelled against God. They had made him angry. But God, for his own purposes, could shine his blessings on their worship. And that is precisely what Daniel asked God to do. May I ask you to pray for this church and this ministry that way? 
Ask God to shine his face of blessing on this ministry, not because we deserve it, but because God says, I magnify my word above all else. And we're a church that really does try to defend the word of God and the truth of God. We try to systematically teach the scriptures in a way that can bring honor to God. So can you pray, God, would you shine your face of blessing on this ministry because of that? We don't deserve you to do that, but we're asking you to do that. Which brings us to the fourth request. Daniel asked God to listen to his prayer because of his compassion, not because of his people's faithfulness. Verse 18 says, O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city which is called by your name for which we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. It was Dr. Warren Wiersbe who said, God in his mercy does not give us what we deserve, but God in his grace does give us what we don't deserve. Now Daniel is not telling God what he must do here. This is not a name it and claim it deal. He's not saying, God, you have to do this because you've said this. All he asks God is listen to the prayer. Take a look at Israel's situation. She certainly was not flourishing as the people of God. She certainly deserved to be in a state of being under the authority of a dominant Gentile world. She had rebelled against the truth of God. She had not listened to the word of God and those God sent to communicate the word. She had rebelled. She deserved to be in her state. The only hope Israel had for God answering this prayer was God's compassion, not Israel's faithfulness. And that's a far cry from a pharisaical attitude that stands before the Lord trying to convince God and other people how great one is. Daniel's just the opposite. He's before the Lord saying, I don't merit anything. Our nation doesn't merit anything. We're appealing to your grace and mercy, Almighty God. We need to get this point. Because if we expect to move God, this is the kind of attitude we have to have. We do not merit any blessings of God on our own. Now maybe you think you do, but you don't. Nor do I. We don't merit anything from Almighty Holy God. The fact that we can even have a relationship with Almighty Holy God who is perfect and righteous is based upon His grace, His mercy, His compassion. It's not based on our merit. It's not based on our works. It's not due to us. It's due to Him. All of us like sheep have gone astray. The fact of the matter is we don't deserve heaven. But God in His amazing grace... When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, says, I'll give it to you. That's the attitude Daniel had when he was before the Lord. That's the attitude that moves God. Which brings us to the fifth request. Daniel asked God to forgive his people and intervene on their behalf. Now this is like rapid fire bullets coming out of a gun. These are emotional verbs. There are five verbs that he gives in verse 19. Here. He's saying to God, hear the petition I'm making. Forgive. Forgive the sin of the nation. Forgive the sin of the people. Forgive the sin of me. Listen. Listen to what we're saying to the situation. Listen to what's happening. Jerusalem is no longer a place of worship. Take action. Reverse the situation, Lord. Do not delay. Bring this 70 years of captivity to its conclusion. We're asking, Lord, based upon your grace and mercy and your compassion, that you would end the situation. And again, I want you to notice at the end of verse 19 the motive 
for your own sake, because it's your city, because they are your people. In other words, Daniel says, do this for yourself, God. Do this because your name is on the line. Do something for us because your name is at stake. And what I see in the heart of Daniel is a man who truly did have God's interest and glory in view. I know of a case in which a company made a major billing error to one of its better customers. Frankly, the person who had made the error should have been probably fired. But the company took another approach. The company said, we're going to honor this. Even though it's going to be costly to us, we're going to honor this because our company name is on the line. And we don't want to communicate to clients that we go back on things. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to take the hit, take the loss here. Daniel is basically doing that in this situation. He's saying, God, because your name's on the line, would you, as it were, take the hit here? Would you be gracious and merciful and compassionate to us? Would you get us out of this dilemma? We don't deserve to be out of it. But would you do it because your name's on the line? And it's that prayer that is interrupted. In verse 20, we get the third division, God answers the prayer. And I want to tell you something about this answer that we're going to see specifically next week. God did not answer the prayer in the way Daniel expected. Daniel's asking God to end this 70-year captivity, restore worship in Jerusalem, once again, make the people of God known to be the people of God for his namesake. What God's going to do is he's going to reveal to Daniel more than just that. He's going to say to Daniel, because of your humility and honesty, I'm going to let you see my entire prophetic plan. You're going to get far more than what you've asked for here. I'm going to reveal to you information, Daniel. That's more than just the end of this 70-year captivity. I'm going to take you all the way to the end when my son reigns. And there are four observations that we want to make about Gabriel's response to Daniel. First of all, the answer came while he was praying. Notice verse 20. Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people. Daniel is praying and his prayer is interrupted. God had decided that he'd heard enough and he's going to answer the prayer. There's specific data given about the prayer. Daniel was actually confessing his own sin, Israel's sin. He was presenting a petition before God in behalf of the holy mountain of God. Now what I find interesting about what Daniel says in verse 20, confessing my sin, there's no place in scripture where any sin of Daniel's mentioned. The fact of the matter is, all we find out about Daniel is that he was a man who was highly esteemed in the heavenlies. In fact, when leaders tried to find something to accuse Daniel for so that they could somehow terminate him, they couldn't find anything against Daniel. They couldn't find one thing. So we must ask ourselves, what sin is Daniel confessing? 
There's no sin that we see in Scripture about the guy. And the answer to that question is, it's none of our business. I don't know what sin Daniel was confessing. All I know is if we're going to move God, we've got to deal with our sin. And we should be before the Lord confessing our specific sin. That apparently is what Daniel was doing. And unless it reaches an unusual proportionate level, your sin is none of my business. That's your business. My sin, unless it reaches a proportionate level where it has to be dealt with, is none of your business. That's my business. And if I'm going to move God and you're going to move God, we've got to be honest and humble about our own sin. The answer came while Daniel was praying. Secondly, the answer came through the angel Gabriel who was sent by God. Verse 21, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel whom I'd seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness. Daniel had been praying. This was draining. I'll tell you, when you are spending time in intense prayer with the Lord, and it's just time you've blocked out to pray, it will drain you. It'll leave you weak. It'll leave you exhausted. Gabriel was used in a previous vision back in chapter 8. There are a couple things to note about Daniel. He's very weary. And secondly, he's apparently observing the morning and evening time of sacrifice, even though he couldn't be in Jerusalem to offer it. Apparently, he made a habit of praying to the Lord about that morning time and about that evening time. And even though it had been over 50 years since those sacrifices had been offered in the temple of Jerusalem, Daniel still in his mind and his heart honored that. And I want you to notice how Gabriel appeared to Daniel in the form of a man. There are people who get wacky in their doctrine of angels. If you ever see an angel, first of all, you won't even know you saw an angel. Because the fact of the matter is, it will look just like a human if you actually see physically one. You'll not know. You'll entertain an angel unaware of the fact you're in the presence of an angel. That's true theology. That's what is happening here to Daniel. The third observation I want you to see is the answer came through verbal instruction that brought Daniel understanding. Notice verse 22. He gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to notice what the language of angels is. It's an understandable language. There are sometimes a bunch of naive people claim they're speaking in tongues in an angelic language. Well, when an angel speaks, it's always to give clear insight in a known language of the Word of God. And I want you to notice here what Gabriel's purpose was to give Daniel insight into understanding the Word of God. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what really brings people out of their problem. Clear understanding of the Word of God. Daniel needed to be taught the scriptures. If he were going to understand things, that's what he needed. He couldn't get it on his own. Even though he had certain copies of those Old Testament books, there was more that he needed to know. He needed to carefully understand the things of God, and somebody had to teach him. And it was Gabriel who was given that responsibility. Now, the fourth observation is the command to give an answer was decided at the beginning of Daniel's prayer. Verse 23, at the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. This is amazing sovereignty. Even before Daniel made the entirety of his request, God said a decision is made to answer it. He knew what Daniel was thinking. He knew what Daniel was going to pray. 
But we may assume by virtue of the fact that this prayer is given to us in such great detail that had he not prayed, he would have not moved the Lord. It was his attitude of wanting to pray humbly and honestly before God that prompted God to move. And Gabriel said, I'll tell you how you will grow and learn, Daniel, through careful understanding of the word of God, and that's why I've come. I want you to think for just a moment of how God used this guy, Daniel. He was an advisor to four kings. Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, and Cyrus. He was an intercessor for Israel. He's before God, asking God to do something for the nation Israel. He was a faithful witness in a heathen world. He wouldn't bow down even if you threatened to throw him into a lion's den. He would still pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was a man who revealed prophecy. He showed Nebuchadnezzar exactly what the powers were. He showed it to Belshazzar who the powers were. He named the powers. He revealed prophecy. And he was a writer of an inspired Old Testament book called the book of Daniel. Now the thing that I want you to understand about Daniel is he's just a believer living and working in a heathen world. He's not a priest. He's not someone that you would call quote unquote a religious leader in the Levitical hierarchy. But this was a very powerful man. This was a man who could move God. Why? Why could he move God? Because he was a man who was godly, he was a man who prayed, and he was a man who studied the word of God. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't need to be a pastor. You don't need to be in full-time ministry to move God. You need to be like Daniel. In fact, that's how any of us need to be if we're going to move God. You don't necessarily move God just because you're a pastor or because you're in ministry. What we need to be is faithful. We need to be people of prayer who pray honestly and humbly before the Lord. And we need to be people of study. And perhaps it's been a long time since you've seen God move. Perhaps there were times in your life when you did see him move, but it's been a long time. May I suggest that you be humble and honest about your sin before God. May we pray. I want to speak to those who are here today, perhaps, who've never trusted Jesus Christ. You'll never have a relationship with God apart from him. And to get into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you must be honest about this fact. You are a sinner, just like all of us. You've not measured up to the righteous standards of Almighty God. And that's why Christ died on the cross, to take away your sin. And right now in this moment, you can settle that issue. In the privacy of this moment, you pray something like this, God... I'm a sinner, I admit it. I thank you that Jesus died for my sin. And right now I place my faith in him.